If you have your Bibles or your, um, some other way in which you want to turn to Mark chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verse 1 to verse 12 this morning. Many of you know that the History Channel, one of its most popular shows is Pawn Stars, a reality show where people come into a pawn shop in Las Vegas uh, to sell things or to buy things. Well, recently a man brought a violin in to sell. He had recently purchased a piece of property, and on that property was a house and a barn. And after purchasing it, he inspected the barn more carefully and found an old chest, which he opened, and inside was this violin safely tucked there. He pulled it out and dusted it off, and he found inscribed one word, Stradivarius. And so he was hoping that he would have inherited or or found a million-dollar violin. So if you know anything about Pawn Stars, you know that what often happens with an expensive piece is that an appraiser, an expert, is brought in, and that expert carefully examined it to see if it was real or not. It was not a Stradivarius but rather a cheap imitation that had been made back in the early 1900s. It was worth maybe mm, five, $600. The appraiser's final comment to the deflated owner was, just because something has a label doesn't mean it's real. When Mark begins to describe for us the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, he gives Jesus some pretty heady labels. You turn back to chapter 1 and verse 1. First of all, he, used, he calls him the Christ, which we understand is the Messiah or the anointed one of God. Then he also uses the, the, the label son of God. Okay, but just because something has a label, it doesn't mean it's real. So what Mark does, and it's very intentional in these early chapters of, of what he wrote, was he wants us to experience Jesus for ourselves. And then through that encounter, which would include a careful appraisal, we'll draw our own conclusions about who this guy is called Jesus. So, how do you get to know someone really? What does it take to become acquainted with another individual to know what's really or who they are really like? Well, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Just hang out with them in a variety of settings over a fairly good length of time. Watch them at work. Watch them at school. Watch them in their home. Watch them at mealtimes. How do, how do they use their free time? How do they behave around family members, around their friends, with total strangers? My dad once told me that he can discern more about what's going on inside of a person's life by just watching them drive for 10 minutes. Okay, then you sit in the passenger seat and let them drive. But nothing, nothing reveals a person's heart like observing their response to surprise or the unexpected. So what's a young husband's reaction when he comes home and his wife surprises him with the announcement that she is pregnant? Or what's a wife's reaction when her husband comes home after a day at work and announces, I've been fired? Or when you get a phone call late at night informing you that someone that you dearly love has died? 
Or you're promoted at work and you didn't even know that you were up for promotion. Only the promotion means you now have to move to a different state. Or at the reading of the will, you inherited a great deal of money. Or at the reading of the will, you got nothing. But it doesn't have to be intense surprises like that. It can be rather normal life, um, unexpected things that can reveal so much about what's going on inside of a person. Like your child has tested positive for COVID and now they're going to be home for the next two weeks. What did that just do to all your plans? Or you're running late one morning and you jump in the car only to discover that it doesn't start. You come home one evening and discover a large and growing pool of water under your dishwasher. Or, guys, there's a timeout in the game. There's 10 seconds left. You know your team is going to put together the winning play to score and win the whole thing. At that very moment, your wife hands you your screaming son and asks you to change the diaper. You see, the response to a surprise or to the unexpected reveals the hearts. But I think there's another way to get to know someone. Not just how they respond to surprise or the unexpected, but how do they initiate surprise? Are they spontaneous or maybe they're never spontaneous? You see, Mark's technique in writing down the story of Jesus isn't sophisticated, it isn't mysterious. He's simply describing what it's like to be around Jesus. And through carefully listening to him and closely watching him, we can come to appreciate how compelling he is. And there's no better way to get to know Jesus than to see him respond to the unexpected and then to be spontaneous himself. That's why we need to jump into what Mark records in chapter 2, starting at verse 1, going down to verse 12. You know this story well. It is a well-known episode in the, in the life of Jesus, but it's best known as a series of surprises. Because everybody who was there at this very given moment anticipated one thing happening, but what happened was something quite different. And it didn't just happen once. It happened twice. In the opening five verses, we have surprise number one. Jesus has been in his public ministry now for several months. His approval rating has, is just skyrocketing. He returns to the city of Capernaum, we're told there in verse 1. That's become his kind of home base that he operates out of. And here we have the expected event of his coming back home. What do we see? Well, word circulates that Jesus is back in town, so we're told a large crowd gathered. The house that he was in quickly packs out. People spill out the doorway into the courtyard. People may not be able to see Jesus, but they do want to hear him. So Jesus takes advantage of this opportunity to preach the word to them. Now, we're not told what specific message Jesus had on his heart that day, but according to chapter 1 and verse 15, we're told that he regularly preached about the coming of the kingdom of God and the need for everybody to believe and to repent. So more than likely, it was something along that theme. So here we have the general expectation by the crowd. Everyone is going to hear a message. 
So more than likely, they were respectfully quiet and attentive in order to not miss a word from his mouth. And that's right when the unexpected occurred. Verse 3, verse 4. It all started when four guys showed up, each holding the corner of a mat. And laying in the mat was their paralyzed friend. They had obviously carried them here in order for Jesus to heal him. But because of what we're told there in verse 1 and verse 2, there are large crowds. They couldn't even get close to Jesus. Well, they're not about ready to be deterred. So one of the four came up with a wacky but completely unorthodox idea. If we can't get to Jesus horizontally, we're going to get to him vertically. Now, understand that that day, a typical home was a one-room affair. Outside staircase went up onto the roof where you could dry clothes, you could dry food. The roof was made of poles running crossway from wall to wall. Then across those were laths, and then on top was mud applied into the, to fill the cracks. And then on top of that would be tiles that would help to drain the water away. So these four guys make their way up onto the roof, and we're told that they removed some of the tiles. They had to dig through the dried mud. They had to pull out some of the necessary boards in order to make a mat-sized opening. That's what's, going on. That's what's going on up there. Can you imagine what's going on down here? First, you're, if you're in the room, you're going to hear some muffled activity on, in the, on the ceiling above you. Then dirt and dust start filtering down through the air. It gets in your hair, it gets on your clothes, it gets in your eyes. People probably started to cough and to sneeze because of all of it. Suddenly, a shaft of light appears, and it gets larger and larger. It's blocked momentarily, then it reappears again to illuminate this U-shaped mat that's slowly being lowered down towards the floor. Folks, long ago has Jesus' message been disrupted. Everybody is, is watching, looking up at the ceiling in astonished amazement at what is unfolding in front of them. So imagine the final scene. The mat touches the floor, its sides spread out to reveal this paralyzed guy. The four ropes still lead up to the, the new skylight in, in, in the roof. And if you looked up there, you would see four faces all looking down through the hole at what's going to happen next. And then every eye in the place turns to look at Jesus. And what happens next? Mark gives us the revealing response there at the start of verse 5. And Jesus saw their faith. Folks, if we are going to experience Jesus for who He really is, if we're really going to come to know Him, there is something powerful that is revealed about his heart in those short words. Jesus saw their faith. See, what others in that room probably saw as a rude interruption, Jesus saw faith. What others there that morning defined, this is an annoying inconvenience, Jesus saw faith. 
Now, we all understand Jesus could have very appropriately said something like, excuse me, I'm preaching here, we're talking about the kingdom, hello, I'm the Son of God, what were you thinking? That's not his response, is it? So what does his immediate response to the unexpected tell us about his heart? Well, the first thing that ought to pop into your mind is that people matter the most to Jesus. The most important thing in life is not things. Second, that our expressions of faith are highly valued by Jesus, even when all we're doing is trying to help a a hurting friend get close to Jesus. And third, notice that the hurting, the disadvantaged, Those who have been paralyzed by life are never turned away, but are warmly welcomed by Jesus. By the way, is that the Jesus you know? Or has he for so many years remained a distant and disengaged figure in your life? Is he a stained glass Jesus? Is he a Sunday morning ritual, Jesus? Is he a cold representative of harsh rules and regulations? Folks, this story by Mark is not meant to amaze us or amuse us. Rather, this story is meant to reveal how compelling Jesus is and to invite us to experience the warmth of a relationship with him. See, we are being invited to enter into this and realize that today we are being invited to enjoy a relationship where we matter, a relationship where even unorthodox expressions of faith are celebrated, a relationship where our suffering is shared and we're never treated as an inconvenience. Folks, that's Jesus. And that's the Jesus that Mark wants us to get, come to know because in, if we come to know him like that, then he's going to offer us a life like we've never known before. Well, that's just the first surprise. There's a second. Now, remember, in the first, we're watching Jesus respond to the unexpected that was initiated by someone else. Second surprise, we're going to see Jesus initiating the unexpected himself. Let's look at surprise number two, last part of verse 5 all the way down to verse 12. Now, take this for what it's worth, and it may not be worth all, this much, all that much, but I'm, I'm convinced by my study of this story that Jesus looked around the room at who just dropped in, literally, and I think a playful smile came to his mouth. After all, what was the expected event if you had been there? What would you have thought was going to happen next? Okay, now remember the context we're in. Back in chapter 1 and verse 21, Jesus has just shown his authority over the demonic. Chapter 1, verse 32, he spent a whole evening in Capernaum, this very town, healing those that came to him. Last week in chapter 1 and verse 41, he healed a leper, cleansed him. So news of all of this miraculous healing had spread all over Galilee. Jesus can miraculously heal people. And that's why these four 
guys brought their paralyzed friends here. Miraculous healing was on everybody's mind. So the natural expectation was Jesus is just going to do just that. He's going to heal the guy right here. And yet look at the last part of verse 5. And the unexpected that occurred. And Jesus said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, you need to understand immediately there are emotional and mental skid marks of surprise all the way around the room. The last thing in the world they would have thought coming out of Jesus' mouth would be that. Be healed? Sure, that's what we expect. But you're forgiven? Where in the world did that come from? Well, now remember, again, we get to know someone not just by how they respond or react to surprise, but how they initiate things unexpectedly. So what is the revealing response here? Look at verse 6 down to verse 12. First, even though they're not the main focus of the story, we're told the response of the teachers of the law there in verse 6 and verse 7. What was their reaction to Jesus' words when He said, you're forgiven? They thought it was blasphemy. In other words, Jesus is a heretic to say this. Heresy is to teach something that contradicts established religious opinion. So the teachers of the law, or some of your translations say the scribes, these are the scholars, these are the authorities of what the Old Testament law said. So look at verse 7, because they do have a correct assessment. Only God can forgive. So if you'd asked them why they were thinking that, they might have quoted to you Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25, where the prophet speaking for God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. So understand something that's going on here. They do have a correct analysis, but it didn't lead them to an accurate conclusion. So Jesus, in wanting them and us today To come to know who he really is, he calls these guys out. Now, they've not verbalized anything. They've just thought it. But Jesus knows what they're thinking. So let's look at the response of Jesus now, verse 9 to verse 12. First of all, notice, he asks a question. And his question is this. What is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Okay, let's, un- let's understand that for a little bit. Since forgiveness is on the inside of a person and remains hidden, but healing is on the outside and would be obvious, to announce forgiveness then would be the easier thing to say because how can you dispute it? Verification would be difficult if not impossible. But to say be healed it's going to be real quickly determined if it happens. So Jesus then makes a statement in verse 10. What does He say there? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, 
And then he turns and speaks to the paralytic. In other words, Jesus wants everyone to know the reach of his authority and power. How is he going to do this? Well, he's going to use that easier, harder concept thing. If I can do the harder thing, then that reveals my authority to do the easier thing. So think about it like this. If, if someone is able to bench press 100 pounds with no problem, can they not then carry a sack of groceries into the house from the car? Well, yeah. If you can do the more difficult thing, you can do the more easy thing. Or if you can teach calculus to high school students, more than likely you're going to be able to balance your own checkbook. If you are in the military and you have the rank to command a squad or platoon of men, then can you not get your toddler to behave? Okay, no, that's, that's backwards. Flip that, around. Flip that around the other way. Okay. If Jesus can miraculously heal the harder thing, then what does that say about his authority to forgive? Look at verse 11. I say to you, to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose. And immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So what does this unexpected spontaneity by Jesus reveal about his heart? Let me give you five things to think about. There are probably more. Let me give you five that pop into my mind real quickly. First of all, do you realize that Jesus will purposefully shake people up if it will help them see him for who he really is? count on it. Second, we may come to Jesus wanting help or healing on one level, but don't be surprised if Jesus takes us to a whole other level where we never intended to go. He will often want us to go further and go deeper to the real necessary healing of our heart that means forgiveness. The third thing I observe from this is that you notice there's always a parallel between our physical health and our heart, our heart's health. This man was paralyzed, physically unable to move. He had no freedom to enter into life. He was always a spectator. And that's exactly what happens to us. That's what sin does to our hearts. It paralyzes us. It takes away our freedom to enter into life. It, it restricts us. It binds us. It confines us. And yet, number four, Jesus wants us to enjoy forgiveness. Not only because it will make us clean, which is what we saw last week in, in the healing of the leper, but also because, folks, it will set us free. We can bound into life with a, with a freedom of movement like we have never known or maybe we lost it sometime in the past. Which brings me to my fifth thing, to know about Jesus. He has the authority to grant forgiveness. Are you here this morning and on the outside, you're looking really good, but on the inside, 
you feel paralyzed. You feel stuck. Stuck because of choices that you have made. Stuck because of what you've experienced in life. And yet, deep inside, you can sense it. You can feel it. There is a yearning for freedom. This story here in Mark 2 shows us that Jesus is offering any single one of us here this morning the opportunity to have life with no guilt, no shame, never do we have to duck and run. But that kind of life can only come when a person experiences divine forgiveness, which means Jesus can and will forgive anything that you've done or failed to do. All he's waiting for, all he's waiting for is to see you come to him in faith, believing that he'll give it. What a surprise. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for my dear friends here this morning, both those that know you well and some here this morning that have never entered into that relationship with you yet, but both are feeling this deep sense of paralysis in the heart. I pray for those this morning here who are scared, they want it, but they find it so hard to accept divine forgiveness. They find it hard because they still don't believe that Jesus welcomes them to receive it. Maybe they find it hard because they feel like they've got to earn it. They've got to be worthy of divine forgiveness but they don't know how to get there. Father, how I pray that all of us would find this compelling nature of Jesus Christ so strong that it draws us to Him and our heart's yearnings can be fulfilled as we believe that He is the one and only one who can both do the difficult and then the easier thing and can forgive us our sins. Father, thank you for what Jesus then later in his life did by going to the cross, and literally by that, he took the penalty that each of us deserves. Father, thank you that we have a Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. And thank you that we have a Jesus who once said that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Father, may those promises this morning give us the hope, the courage, and the resolve to believe what Jesus has promised. I can forgive. Lord, may that be our experience here this morning. That is our audacious prayer that we might experience it here and now. And we pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.